Hello, and welcome to In All of Us Command. I'm Aaron. And I'm Kate. And we will be learning about national anthems. Every week, we will choose a new country at random, and we will learn a little bit about this country, and then we will listen to their anthem. After listening, we will rate the anthem based on several criteria and see how they all stack up, just in our humble opinion. Now, we don't want you to think because of the title that we're, like, big fans of O Canada. We don't really like it. <laughs> we plan on dunking on it pretty much constantly yep. over the course of the show. Uh, we do not expect it to finish highly in the rankings at all. No. Just a disclaimer up front, we are doing this podcast just to have some fun, to do some learning. We don't learn a lot about countries outside of our sort of immediate sphere of influence in Canada, the ones we've got a lot of history with, the US and the UK. So some of these countries, most of these countries, we're going to know basically nothing about. We're doing our best to be respectful uh, as we learn about this. But I apologize up front for any factual errors we make in our research or more likely any pronunciation errors we make over the course of this. Now, if we do make any errors that you want to see corrected, please send us a message at inallofuscommandpodcast at gmail.com or at IAOUC podcast on Twitter. Uh, we will be wrong a lot in the process of making this show, and we want you to tell us when we are. So for the first week, uh, we are going to be talking about Samoa. It was the first one we drew out of a hat. Next week, if anyone is interested in hearing it, uh, Kate will be researching Guyana to teach me all about it, uh, because I have been the one who's learned all about Samoa to teach Kate. I have to be honest with you up front, I know nothing about Samoa. I didn't either. That's, it's my turn. <laughs> so at the end of this episode, we will be drawing my next country that we will be releasing in two weeks. So let's start learning about Samoa. Samoa is an archipelago, a set of islands in the central South Pacific. They were first settled as part of the Austronesian expansion. Now that's a theorized mass migration event that is believed to have originated out of Taiwan. I guess anthropologists generally accept that in a mass migration event, it originated from the place of the greatest linguistic diversity, which in this region, I guess, is Taiwan. Hmm. Um, so the earliest remains we know of in Samoa date back to roughly 1000 BCE, uh, which is also roughly the age of the earliest settlement we know of in Samoa. The, the earliest peoples in Samoa were the Lapita peoples, and that's, uh, that settlement is a Lapita village that is now partially underwater. So the, the early, early history of Samoa is tied really closely to the early history of Tonga and Fiji, two very close by nations. Uh, their oral histories all intertwine. They all support a long history of wars and alliances, royal marriages, etc., trade. Um, so when we eventually get to Tonga and Fiji, I'm sure we're going to encounter some very similar stories there as well. Were they um, like an agricultural people or like a hunter-gatherer? An agricultural, agricultural, I believe. Cool. Uh, there was a, a strong tradition of 
pottery in the early Lapita people was, was a very common thing. Um, the strange thing is that we know there were people there roughly 1,000 BCE, but we don't really know anything about what happened in this whole area from about 750 BCE all the way to about 1,000 AD. Ooh. So we've got nearly 2,000 years that we really, as far as I can tell, know almost nothing about what happened to the people in this region of the world. That's a long time. What we do know is that evidence shows that pottery in Samoa, which we stated it was a really important part of the culture, almost completely stopped during that period. That's wild. Yeah, so I can't really say what happened, but that's a big hole in our knowledge of this whole region of the world. Okay. Um, But during this early period, something that's really important to understand is that what was called the Fa'a Samoa was developed. And that translates roughly to the Samoan way or the Samoan way of life basically a set of of customs that they try to uphold still today. And you'll find recurring times throughout this history where other nations didn't respect the Fa'a Samoa in their dealings with Samoa, and that caused problems for them. Uh, so the first contact that the West made with Samoa seems to be roughly 1770, Uh, It seems they were first spotted in the 1730s, and they got the name the Navigator Islands in 1768 from the French explorer Bougainville, is I think how you (laughs) pronounce that. Um, So he gave them those names in 1768, but all the sources I saw saw that first contact was in 72. So I don't know if maybe he just sailed by and called them the Navigator Islands and then no one actually made contact for four more years. Mm. Uh, But there wasn't really regular contact until the 1830s when English missionaries and traders started to show up. That can't be good. Oh, it rarely is. (laughs) Just before the, uh, the English arrive in about 1827 or 28, there was an event known as the Olatua Olatua. Teau Fua. And this was a, a period of political unrest that resulted in a man named Tamifiga being put in charge of the country. Okay. Now Tamifiga was a very unpopular man, and by 17 or by 1829, he had been murdered. Oh. Uh, this resulted in a guy named Malitoa Venuupo being uh, put in charge. Now, uh, Malitoa is one of the four chief titles okay. in, in Samoa. So he became what was known as the Taifa Ifa. And this was a title for the one of the four head chiefs who was made sort of the head of all of them. Okay. Um, Now, in 1830, John Williams arrived from the London Missionary Society, and he set up the first Christian mission in Samoa. And Malitoa Venuupo was actually one of his very first converts. Oh. Uh, And Venuupo, just before Williams had arrived, had basically taken Samoa, to my understanding, quite violently. Okay. uh, After after the power vacuum left by Tamifiga. So... People 
weren't about to step out against Vainuupo, so Samoa is now a Christian nation. Okay. Um, Vainuupo would stay in power for roughly 10 years, after which he would retire, and he would also retire the Taifa Ifa title forever, because, and this is something that the sources downplayed and to me seems like a really big deal. <laughs> he retired the Taifa Ifa title because he wanted God to be the new head of state of Samoa. Oh. So the four chiefs were supposed to cooperate under God. This led to pretty much 30 years of intermittent civil wars in Samoa. Yeah, probably. Uh, there is a brief piece when an, another Malitoa uh, named Moli was in charge for about 10 years. After he died, the British misunderstood sort of how the nominations for the royal... It's not royalty, but the leadership of Samoa worked. Mm. The British thought it was royalty. Okay. So they tried to force... Moli's son, Lao Peppa, onto the throne, basically. Oh, yeah. Not understanding that it, again, was not a throne. Right. That sounds like it could go very badly. It went very badly. <laughs> so uh, there were basically another seven, eight years of civil wars after that, as no one wanted to accept Lao Peppa's rule. But by this point, by about 1850, there was also a lot of Americans and Germans, um, mostly living in a settlement near Appia, the capital. Um, so the Americans and Germans all had to step in behind Lao Peppa to finally just sort of force that square peg into that round hole. Um, which, to be fair, they did. Okay. But... Okay. You have to think it could have gone a little smoother. Yeah. Um, so after this, the governments of U.S., Great Britain, and Germany are all sort of vying for power for annexation over Samoa. And internal political factions in Samoa would cooperate with them insofar as they could get funding for their internal wars and right. et cetera. Okay. So this was a really messy period in Samoan history where all of these countries were all too happy to keep the country destabilized. So if they ever did decide, you know, maybe we want to annex Samoa someday. I have a question. Yeah. Um, in terms of Germany and France and the U.S. all trying to control Samoa. Germany and uh, England. And oh, the sorry, US. and yeah. England. Um, was th like, was there a reason? Is it rich in resources? Did they just want the land? It's, I believe, just a strategic okay. position. Okay. Um, because what we were, what we will see is that the U.S. will, in 1878, make a deal to set up a military base in uh, Pago Pago, which is part of what is now American Samoa. Oh. And you would see the UK and Germany would step in. I think it's Great Britain at this point, not the UK. Yeah. Um, would step in with similar deals in the next year or two as well. Um, so at this point, Lao Peppa became friends with a guy, an American emissary named Albert Barnes Steinberger. And I just want to talk about this story because this also is so fascinating. 
Steinberger was an emissary uh, from the U.S. government. He was officially sent, and he ended up becoming really close with Laupepa and helping him write a constitution for Samoa, which the Samoans accepted because they thought it would help them gain independence to have their own constitution written. Unfortunately, Steinberger went so far off the reservation with this constitution. He basically put himself in charge of the country. He was the first and only prime minister of Samoa, like, in this state. There is a prime minister now, but I'm going to call that a different position from this one that existed for all of nine months. Oh. While Steinberger gave himself, like, sweeping powers over the country until eventually the American government found out what Steinberger was doing and basically told Laupepa that he did not have their knowledge or approval for any of this, Laupepa immediately deported Steinberger and then was deposed for having let him done this in the first place. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I th- I just, I can't believe a guy just showed up and decided he was going to be in charge of everything. Yeah. So... Again, we get to a little bit of sketchy ground in terms of, like, united leadership for Samoa until 1899 when the Berlin Act is signed. Uh, The Berlin Act was signed in Berlin. Uh, It basically divided Samoa without the knowledge or approval of the Samoans into Western and Eastern Samoa. Now, this is really where we are mostly going to abandon Eastern Samoa. Although their history is still very intertwined, Eastern Samoa is now American Samoa. This is where that divide is made and has not yet been changed. And today, is it still called American Samoa and Samoa, or is that different now? We'll get to that. So right now, it's Eastern Samoa and Western Samoa. I don't know when the change from Eastern to American Samoa was made. Okay. Um... But now Germany is in charge of Samoa in 1899. That was not really what a lot of people wanted. I mean, no one's happy about the division being done without their knowledge or approval, obviously. Yeah. That's that's classic Oh yeah. ignorance Colonizer. and colonialism, just dividing just countries draw with a line. A line. And yeah. See if anyone cares. <laughs> Worry about it later, I guess. But uh, the other thing is that while some countries were countries, while some citizens were in in support of annexation, the ones that were had Germany as a distant third on the list of countries they wanted. They wanted the U.S. They wanted Great Britain. They did not want Germany. Okay. Um, So German rule would be marked by general unhappiness it would uh you would see the mao apul in 1908 which is a rebellion that would result with 10 samoan political leaders being exiled to the mariana islands not great um but german rule would last until world war one um at which point the english commanded new zealand to occupy western samoa take it from the germans okay um the New Zealanders were met with basically no opposition. There was not much of a garrison posted in Samoa to resist them. Um, So New Zealand basically held it through the war with no 
extra issue. Like, I'm sure people weren't thrilled about them, but as far as I can tell, it was potato potato for for a lot of the Samoan people during the war. Uh, But as soon as the war ended, there were some New Zealand policies that led to basically mass economic downfall as well as a really poor handling of the Spanish flu that killed a lot, a lot of Samoans. And all of a sudden they're not as happy with New Zealand in charge anymore. And who could blame them? I wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, Totally disregarding that, the League of Nations assigns them to New Zealand as a Class C mandate in, um, when was it here? 1920, I believe. I did not write that in my notes for some reason. That wasn't very smart of me. Um, But during the uh, League of Nations assignment, basically a Class C mandate gave them limited powers over Samoa. I don't know how much that was being enforced, but on paper, they couldn't do whatever they wanted. Um, But during this period, there was a party born in in, uh, Samoa called the Mao Party, and they were fighting for independence. Mao basically translates to strongly held belief. And they were treated by the New Zealand government as basically rebels for the first little while. They were murdered, they were exiled... It wasn't until New Zealand's first Labour government was elected in 1935 that the Mao was recognized as an actual political party. Mm. Um, during World War II, the country made a lot of money from the U.S., uh, who paid them to install an airbase there, again, okay. uh, leveraging their position as as a strategic spot on the world, just a good sort of waypoint in the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and that made them enough money that they could found their own legislative assembly and they could write their own constitution, which they wrote in 1954. In 1962, they were finally granted independence Yay! as Western Samoa. Uh, they would change their name to Samoa in 1997, a move that was not popular with the citizens of American Samoa. I can see why. Yeah. Um, So an interesting little quirk is because British missionaries first arrived there in 1830. That's also like when the Mormon church is starting to become a thing. And I guess stories of Samoa just interested Joseph Smith because he immediately sent missionaries there. His missionaries arrived not very long after the first Christian missionaries to Samoa. Okay. So because of that, my understanding is that Mormonism holds really equal footing in Samoan culture with sort of mainstream Christianity in a way it does not here. Okay. Numbers, more reliable numbers seem to put the country at about 15% Mormon. Um, The Mormon church claims as high as 40%. Wow. Yeah. That's a big discrepancy, though. It's a big discrepancy. Who knows, right? (laughs) I mean, I'll probably trust the 15% numbers more. Yeah. Uh, The other recent thing that's going to be, I think, a major point in Samoan history is the largest earthquake of 2009 happened in the Samoan archipelago and caused a disastrous tsunami. Uh, There were 189 fatalities recorded 
the entire capital city had to be evacuated. Villages and towns were completely destroyed. The prime minister's home was destroyed. God, I feel like these guys can't catch a break. Yeah, they're... As far as I can tell, the the economic effects of that one will be felt for some time to come. Yeah. But Samoa is now an independent nation. Um, In 1962, they had a contest for their national anthem, and they settled on O Lafua, O La Sao Lotoga, O Samoa, um, or the English version, which title, which I'm sure is not at all a direct translation, is the Banner of Freedom. Okay. So we are going to take a break now and take a listen to that song. Great, I can't wait. Right. I hope you all enjoyed our little listen to O Lafua, O La Sao, O Toga, O Samoa. I that is a mouthful if you do not speak the language. I like this one. I like it too. Uh, so just a little background on the song. It was composed by a guy named Sauni Liga Caresa. Uh, now, his father was actually a pastor who wrote a couple popular hymns in Samoa, which is kind of cool. Uh, the song was written as early as the 1st of June, 1948, is the first record I can find of it being r- referenced, performed, Uh, But it was chosen in this competition in 1962 when the country gained independence. We also actually have who the runner-up was. That's a song that is called Lo Unue. Um, It's not bad. I listened to it. I probably also would have voted for this one. Um, I quite like it, especially that... uh, that one we watched at the rugby game was phenomenal. I think what really adds something to that one for me is that you can see in the people's faces what it means to them. Absolutely. And that's something that, I don't know, you don't get just on listening. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like every time I've sung the Canadian national anthem, I've looked like a piece of roadkill <laughs> while I did it. Um, and maybe I'm just like, it's it's my own national anthem, so I've sung it so many times. But I guess these people have sung it a bunch of times too, probably. And they like really look like they care and they look like it really means something to them. Yeah. And that really adds something to it for me. Right. So we do have a... Um an earlier version of this song. I don't know actually when the lyrics were changed, but there's an earlier version with a lot less Christian imagery in it. Mm. Um, But most modern versions use the sort of Christianized version. I'm not even sure if those lyric changes had been made when it was premiered as the national anthem, perhaps. Um. But yeah, we've got some criteria that we were going to look into for this one. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the uh, lyrics. So the lyrics, I don't know, I found just on reading them doesn't do that much for me. Yeah. But I think 
as we were talking about, like in the context of something, in the context of the rugby game, for example, it it means a lot more. Yeah. Um, I think the lyrics pair nicely with the music by themselves, at least in the English translation, I can kind of take it or leave it. Right, right, right. How do you feel? I think, yeah, I think I did look at a translation of this. Like by that, I mean, I took the Samoan lyrics and put them into Google Translate and Mm -hmm. it came out almost the exact same. Okay. So my understanding is that the sentiment is at least the same in Samoan. Okay. As far as I can tell, um, definitely the, the rhymes and the phonetics of it all sound more interesting in Samoan than I imagine. Like the English lyrics, you couldn't set to the tune. No, no. Is I think the main problem I have with the English lyrics and that makes it hard to evaluate. But if I'm rating it just on the English lyrics, I think I'm probably going about a five for this one. I was thinking five as well. I feel also this, the first one is going to be the hardest. Yeah. Because we don't have any, any point of comparison yet, except our own. Yeah. Ding dong Canadian anthem. Um, So I think probably the rating will get easier as we go, but I'm also going to go with a five. The music though, there's a lot to like about this melody. I agree. Um, It starts really strong that da 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 da. It's, it's got a really great punchy beginning and then it's got a lot of variety throughout. It's true. It's quite catchy. Yeah. There's, The lines almost feel like call and response at points. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. There's a it. surprising amount going on, I find, musically in this short little anthem. Mm-hmm. So I, for the music, I mean, I'm probably going to go like eight and a half. I think this one's great. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say eight too. All right. Yeah. So that's eight and a half for me, eight for you. Did you have anything else you wanted to add about the uh um i think because we listened to a couple of different versions there's yeah. the kind of more marchy one and then the football one or the rugby one sorry yeah um i think the the music holds up well in different contexts yeah it's true because we got like you said the very classic march uh we got the acapella version at the rugby game and we watched one that was more of a soft piano cover, and we'll post all of these uh, on our blog as we go, uh, so you will be able to see all the versions we're talking about. Certainly the rugby game one stood out the That's most. the best one, um, absolutely. Incredible, incredible performance. Like you could see, you could see the players practically holding back tears yeah. as they sang along. And the guy like wrapped in the flag, yeah. singing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a powerful video. Yeah, I um, think it also really says something. And you see this like at the Olympics and stuff too, when people sing along with their anthem, even though they know, like no one can hear you, yeah. obviously. It's, you know, being blasted through these speakers, but like you got to sing it anyways, because it's your country and you're proud yeah. of your anthem. Yeah, but you're right. It does, it works well in all these different contexts Mm. which i think is definitely a point in its favor i agree uh so the next thing we're gonna look at is the background story now i could find almost nothing about the the life of the composer um it's gonna happen yeah i think it's cool that it was a competition and 
that this one was selected. Yeah, and I wonder how many countries did it that way also, because that's that's how we chose our flag here in Canada. Yes, Yes, it is. But that's not how... Is that how we chose our anthem? I don't think so. At least it's not popular knowledge. I don't think if it is. Fair enough. We'll get to Um, it when we get to the Canada episode. But we'll talk about it. (laughs) That'll be fun. So the background story for this one is unfortunately gonna lose it some points for me i don't want to give it like an outright zero because it's not like it's a shitty story (laughs) or something it's not like it's like this is a story where people did horrible things and it would be better off it didn't happen it's just yeah they had a competition and this one won so like four i think i think it's pretty cool they had a competition fair enough i think especially in the context like a country that's been like colonized and recolonized and finally got its independence um i'm gonna say six all right so that's a four and a six for the background story so the significance of the lyrics to the history of the country i mean the lyrics are pretty straightforward there's not a ton of like specific references to anything Mm. in them um it's true. There's like some some of the symbols they respect the flag and yeah. some religious symbolism. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not overwhelming. Yeah, and I don't know I don't know if I've just got like really lofty ideals for anthems. Maybe we like look back at some of these early ones when we've gotten a bit deeper in and we know what our baseline is going to look like. I think that's a very good idea. (laughs) But I'm going to give this one, yeah, probably another three. I'm going to go four. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're talking X Factor. And I think this one's going to do pretty okay for me on X Factor. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's just got something listenable about it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not like it's going to be stuck in my head for days or anything like I don't know that. what's going around in mine right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I just, I think that melody is really interesting. I like the number of places this one goes. I think I'm going to give it an eight for X Factor. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it an eight as well. Okay. So, if we tally all these up... We've got 59 and a half out of 100 with both our scores combined there. Okay. So we're we're definitely above average here. I think mainly this one's losing points for a lack of specificity. I would agree. I over, think it's, it's over quite anything general. else, but I think it's a great piece of music. I agree with you. Um so I meant to share these at the end of the history. Sorry everybody. <laughs> Uh, But I got us just some general fun facts about Samoa. So the national bird is the Manumea, or the tooth-billed pigeon. Now, this is... Wait, does the pigeon have teeth? I don't think so, Okay, okay, because that's like a dinosaur if the pigeon has teeth. Well, it's a bird that's native only to Samoa. Okay. And from what I could see in my research, it is the closest living relative to the dodo bird oh so it is a dinosaur kind of cool 
I, I just thought that was really cool. That the, is really interesting. The national flower of Samoa is the red tiulia. So those are, they're these super bright red flowers. And I guess their their petals are very strong and waxy and they'll hold their shape and not fall apart. So you'll see them used for a lot of necklaces similar to like a Hawaiian lei. Oh, pretty. Um, and there's actually uh, a couple reasons that Hawaii comes to mind with this country, not only because they're both Pacific Island countries, sure. ob- or, well, Hawaii is now a state, but um, they're both Pacific Islands, but there's a really fascinating story around Robert Louis Stevenson, the writer of, like, Treasure Island. Okay. Uh, he actually ended up spending the last four years of his life in Samoa, And he spent most of those four years, as far as I can tell, just railing against the British treatment of the Samoan people. His writing turned really dark and really political in the last four years of his life. He was writing either, like, nonfiction accounts of Samoan civil wars, or he was writing novels where, like, British colonists were just super evil, lazy monsters mistreating the Samoan people. And he, as far as I can tell, became very popular uh, with the the people he lived around. And in 1894, he ended up going in front of the four chiefs of Samoa. Now, remember, this is five years before the Berlin Act. Mm -hmm. He goes in front of the chiefs of Samoa and gives them this eerily accurate prediction of what life will look under European colonization based off of what he had witnessed in Hawaii. Oh. And... That's cool. That's wild. I mean, there's only so much they could do about his warning, but they listened. Like, he was someone they were listening to, and he would end up dying just a couple months after talking to the chiefs. And his like friends and neighbors in Samoa carried him on their backs up the side of a mountain to bury him overlooking the ocean. Uh, The epitaph he wrote for himself on his headstone became a like popular Samoan song of grieving when it was translated and and set to music. Wow. I did not know that. Right. I I knew none of that. And I like Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. So I also learned about a few Samoan foods. One of them, so something we actually decided in the process of me doing the research for this episode is that we are going to try as much as possible to make a food from the country we're talking about. So if you hear a country come up that you know all about the food, you're from there, or you know someone who's from there, and there's something that we can make in, like, a small apartment kitchen without totally breaking the bank. Send us a tweet. Please let us know. Yeah, send us a tweet, send us an email. We would love to know about it. This week we made panapopo. Now these are really light, fluffy, like milk bread buns that we baked in a sweetened coconut milk sauce. And we saved about half of the coconut milk sauce to then pour over them when you serve them. We had these while we were listening to the anthem, and they are 
delightful. Very good. Would highly recommend. And also not hard to make, really. Not hard to make at all. We let the dough rise overnight. I It didn't take us that long. It nope. was pretty stress-free. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're just, they're light, they're fluffy. When you bake them with the sauce, it sort of caramelizes the bottom, so you get this nice crunch. And you pour it over top, so the tops are kind of golden brown and like slightly crispy coconut like it's very good yeah can't recommend highly enough if anyone's looking for a new dessert something to make that no one will expect of you (laughs) unless i guess you're samoan uh make some panapopo they're fantastic um some other foods i learned about i i tried to find out if there was like an official national dish of samoa And these were the three most common things I found referenced. I didn't find any of them listed really officially as a national dish. Okay, let's hear it. The second one is what's called palusami. So that is a, it's coconut cream uh, baked in coconut leaves or sometimes taro leaves, uh, sometimes with fillings like meat and vegetables. I'll be honest, I looked at uh, about a half dozen palusami recipes and every one of them looked like a completely different meal. Okay. So maybe so, it's just like a personalized yeah, maybe it's twist a bit on of a it kind category. of a thing. Yeah. Um, but they looked interesting. Cool. Um, they like their coconuts. They do. <laughs> and these, I believe, are traditionally baked in like an earth oven as well. Okay. Uh, the third one that I looked up is a really strange one. Uh, so I don't know if you heard me just like reading this article about food being like, what is going on here the other night? Um, but there's this Samoan delicacy called pololo and pololo is basically the edible portion of a certain species of sea worm and it will naturally detach during the mating season of this worm which i guess is like three days in mid-october is the only time in the year this food can be harvested Mm -hmm. and people will dive and get it at night because i guess it melts in the sunlight oh like, I don't, I don't mean to sound like I wouldn't try it, because I absolutely would. Everything I've read said it was, like, all the best seafood in the world rolled into one. Okay. Um, I just think it's so bonkers that there's a food that I guess is only available three days out of the year, and you've yeah. got to, like, dive for it at night. Like, that's one of those, how did we ever discover that Yeah, that sounds like, me. like a quest out of a video game or something. Yeah. It's like these three days where you have to go <laughs> and dive for this seafood. I don't know. I'm I'm a little hesitant about the sea worm aspect, I'll be honest. But Fair enough. But if it's everybody's favorite thing, I don't know. I'd try it. Maybe I'm missing out on something great. Maybe I... I I read that it was pretty great. Like, yeah, there were articles all about how it's like a national delicacy and it is amazing and really rare and special to get to try. Do you cook it or season it or just? I'm not pop sure it actually. In. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's really all I've got for Samoa. Okay. That's um, we are going to be back next week and Kate is going to teach us all about Guyana. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun and we are going to draw a number right now and find out what I am doing next week. 
and the dice says it will be Slovenia. So I will be back, uh, well, I'll be back next week to learn about Guyana, and I will be back in two weeks to uh, present what I have learned about Slovenia and their national anthem. This is another place I don't really know anything about. All right, well, we will learn together. Cool, sounds good. Thank you, Elle, for listening. We will see you next week.